If you'll turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4, that's where we'll be tonight. Short chapter, but I think a lot in it. We'll pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for the worships and song that we've had so far, and um, now we're attentive to your word. Let that be an act of worship as well as we have our ears open and ready to receive everything your Holy Spirit has for us. That uh, as we watch Paul talk about some of the difficulties he's had in ministry and that uh, he, it pales in comparison to what he's received from you. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to, to know um, how you see our sacrifice and as we minister, that, um, that you see it as a sweet-smelling aroma to you and what a blessing that it is. And it's our, it's our uh, reasonable service to you, God. So we thank you for Paul's heart and trying to convey to the Corinthians his heart for them and for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 4 is kind of a sweet one, I think. Um, even though it talks about the sufferings of Christ and the difficulties that Paul goes through, it is a, uh, it's a look into Paul's heart, like, like his personal walk. You know, um, A lot of the things he says are public and about what he does and about who he does it for and all that. And there's a little bit of that here tonight. But for the most part, we're looking at Paul's heart, whether anybody ever knew this chapter or not. He was pleased to be doing what he was doing for the Lord. Whether, ever, whether he ever got a chance to write a New Testament letter, you know, an epistle, and everybody in the world would ever read it, it made no difference to him. It was, he was very content in his ministry that he, that he gave to God. Paul was so touched by the grace of God that he left everything, his life's work, his life's goals, his, the ambition that he had to be at the very top of the religious system, um, he left it all, and, 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 and he still didn't feel like it was enough to give to the Lord. There was no an expectation of gratitude from Jesus. That Paul wasn't waiting for that. He wished he had more to give other than just his life, you know. Um, and it's just, it's just a beautiful picture of a servant's heart. And Paul was truly a shepherd of shepherds, um, someone who truly loved God but loved God's people. You know, so verse one, Paul says, therefore, and of course, whenever you run into the word, therefore, you have to ask yourself, what's it there for? Last week, we left off with him saying that um, there's a veil over the nation of Israel and that there's a difficulty for people to believe and see until that veil is lifted. In other words, there's a blindness that's been given to them. Unbelief is a veil. It's a blindness that comes upon people. And so it's, it's difficult for them to receive what you're talking about. And he says, so there's this veil. Um, But we, as Christians, as believers, once you come to know the Lord, the veil is lifted off the Old Testament, and we're able to see clearly how the Old Testament is constantly talking about the Savior, constantly talking about this mysterious uh, uh, Messiah that would come, Um, never giving us the name, but always in anticipation uh, of this Jesus that would be coming. And... uh, he says, and once that veil is lifted, the scriptures just are opened to you completely. You know, there are still some groups today in, 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 in the church that don't believe the Old Testament is worth reading. It's an old covenant. It's not, it's not for us. We're new covenant people only. And, and I don't understand how you could not, under, how, you, how you, do you dismiss that? The entire Old Testament, um, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, Jesus quoted Isaiah more than, 
you know, and Paul quoted Isaiah and, and all these prophets. How do you not cross-reference and say, what are you talking about? How do you read the New Testament without looking at the Old Testament, you know? It's baffling to me. Once that veil is lifted as a born-again believer, you begin to see Jesus from Genesis 1 on and how it all speaks of him. And the whole volume of the book truly is written about him. And so Paul says, therefore, although there may be a veil, since we have this ministry, which is service, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. We don't lose heart in the ministry. Now, Paul was, um, Paul was a, from what we understand, wasn't a great, wasn't great in stature. Like he didn't have a commanding presence on the stage, you know. Um, there are some pastors and preachers, I, I, you know, you dream of having that radio voice that they have, you know, and, or, or, or the looks or the height for that matter. I'm, 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 I'm a little height challenged, you know, and you look at them and there's a commanding presence that they have on the stage and just captivates people, doesn't put them to sleep at all, you know. And maybe I need to pace back and forth or something up here a little more. But Paul was one of those guys that just had truth. He didn't, he didn't go to, you know, speakers are us and get his degree in public speaking. He didn't enunciate his words. It says that he had a squeaky voice. He had a hooked nose. He wasn't attractive. He wasn't a beautiful man at all. Um, there were those that were, you know. But he wasn't one of them. And so the Corinthians began to look down upon Paul as they brought in new speakers and new teachers and different people and paid guys to come in. No matter what they said, boy, they were good at it. You know, truth, you know, truth set aside. They were good at it. Paul says, I don't get that kind of treatment where I go. I get beat up. They don't roll out the red carpet for me when I come into a city. I usually get rocks and sticks, you know, kicks in the side. They, they, they understand I'm trying to say something, but it, it isn't as eloquent as everybody else, so it's very difficult, you know. He says, but I don't lose heart. I don't lose heart. I've received a ministry from God. Paul thought that was so valuable. It was so valuable that God saw fit to use him. And he counted it as, as, as one of the, the greatest treasures that he had. Everything else in his life was considered dung, he says. Everything, all my schooling, all my accomplishments, being a part of the Sanhedrin, being, being a part of one of the guys that was able to persecute the church, and you know, they entrusted me with really squashing this rebellion that was rising called Christianity. You know. He says, it was worthless. This is such a treasure to me, he says. I don't lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel was veiled or is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, should shine on them. Paul doesn't get upset about people that don't believe or do believe. I mean, he desires every man to be saved. God does too. That's not his job. His job is to shine the light. His job is to share the gospel, which is light. He's, the gospel is the one that removes the veil from people's eyes. That's, that's, what, his, that's what he does. 
It's a very difficult thing to be the first person in someone's life to tell them about the gospel. When you start off at, at square one, sometimes as I start conversations with people, you don't know where they are, and so you kind of feel them out a little bit to see, I don't know, there is kind of a place that you can put them in. If they've never read the Bible or they've never been to church, well, we've got to go all the way to Genesis 1, you know. But even before we get to Genesis 1, they want to know why are we talking about this book. Then you've got to talk about the fact that there is a God. So you've got to start off with creation and all the things around it that prove that we were designed. You know, there's, there's phases, places, you know, starter points. You don't want to teach them something they already know. You can jump right ahead to where they are and pick up where someone else left off. So that veil, that gospel that we bring, that Paul brings, that he goes into cities and preaches for the first time. I mean, you want to talk about first time. You walk into these cities like Corinth saying, I'm going to talk about the unknown, or not Corinth, but um, Athens. I'm going to talk about the unknown God that you guys don't know anything about. I'm talking about, that's square one. You You don't have to guess. I can explain him to you. I can tell you about him. He says, there's a lot of people out there that are using the God, word of God deceitfully, handling it in craftiness. They're still doing it today. We have to be very careful. When I say up here, every time I teach, let's open our Bibles. There's a reason I say that. I want you to follow along. I want you to take notes. I want you to check. I want you to see. That what I'm saying is so. If everybody just sat there and went, well, well, whatever he says is probably fine. It's a very dangerous place to put yourself in because you don't know. I could be reading anything. How would you know? You know. Well, they were getting to that place where they were not just reading anything. They were taking the word of God and twisting it and using it to their own advantage. He says, we're not like that. We've renounced those hidden things of shame. That's a shameful thing to do. Take God's word and twist it into something you want it to make to make it say. In order to twist God's word, I mean, talk about. I know, I know we know God is genius, but He's written this book in such a way that if anybody was to twist any scripture into a different meaning, it would prove itself wrong in other portions of Scripture. It proves itself. It is a proof. So if you take this verse over here and supposedly say, "I think it means this." It will mean that or it won't. And as you go through scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, you'll discover exactly what it means. There is no room for private interpretation of scripture. It interprets itself. It proves itself. It's like math. I mean, you can't fudge it. It is what it is. Well, these guys are doing that, but under, and they can do it with that, with that skill because the people they're teaching don't know the word of God. So they can say anything they want and say it means this. Those people will probably never read this section of Scripture. Therefore, I'll never be challenged on what I just said this, script, this verse means. And Paul says, we didn't do that. I have not shunned to declare to you, Paul says, the entire counsel of God. And there's a reason for that. I share you the whole counsel of God. That way it's all there. And it proves itself. And it interprets itself. And you realize, oh... Anybody teaching this book should be teaching the exact same thing because it says the same thing. The only way it says something different is if somebody twists it. Paul says there are people that are doing that. They're deceitfully twisting the word of God, making it say what they want it to say. And oftentimes it's for their benefit. And so he says, we haven't done that. Our gospel may be veiled. 
but it's only veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age is blinded. And so we learn something there, that Satan is blinding the eyes of some from seeing. Here's the struggle we have. Well, if that, that's not fair. You know, how, come, how come he's blinding some people? How in the world can they receive the gospel? No, they can receive the gospel. There are some that just don't want to receive the gospel and are willingly blinded by it. They just don't want to see it. I, for years, did not want to see the gospel. I've been told the gospel my whole life. I know what the gospel is. I know what the good news is. I know that Jesus, I, I mean, I celebrate Christmas and Easter from the day I was born. Every single year we had all these celebrations. Went to church all the time. I didn't receive the gospel. My eyes weren't opened until I was 19 years old. How does that happen? What happened? You know? There comes a point where I was ready to receive this gospel. I was ready to open my eyes and read it for what it was. And I received it. Paul says it's light. The gospel is light. You'll know that when you share the gospel with people and they get angry. People that are in darkness, that like the dark things they can do in the darkness, don't appreciate light. It's unfortunately why we have security lights all over most, you know, cities. You can always spot Maryville from Hopkins. It's that big orange glow, you know, in the sky when there's a low, when it's overcast. There it is. There's Maryville. And likewise, when you come to Hopkins, sort of, there's Hopkins. You know, it's a little smaller. But you see that. Well, we do that so that creeps can't run around in the dark doing whatever they want to do because light scares off criminals for the most part. It does make them have to be a little more bold anyway. Well, someone who's doing things in the dark doesn't want a light exposed on a flashlight, any kind of thing like that is a threat to them. They don't want to be exposed. And so that's why people get angry when you share the gospel with them. You're exposing something. I don't like what it says. I don't like that it says that, I've a, that I'm a sinner. I don't like what it says that I need help, that I need a Savior, that I can't do this on my own, that it isn't about my good works. It's about someone else's work on a cross. I don't like that. That's why they get angry. No one wants to be confronted with the fact that, well, they can't do it on their own, that there's no way to make up for the crimes they've committed. They can be better from there on out, but it doesn't make up for the things they've done. Something has to be done about that. And so Paul says, I shine with the gospel, and I love it. I don't lose heart. Verse 5, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. If we say anything about ourselves, we just tell you what our role is. We're just here to bring Jesus. That's it. It's a very simple thing. Seems too simple for for some. Needs to be more preparation. Needs to be more stories, more entertainment. You know, the Bible describes itself, compares itself. God's word is compared to the manna that the children of Israel ate in the wilderness. This bread that would come down miraculously every morning, and they would just go pick it up, and it was bland, and it tasted like coriander seed and like a little honey, and it was different kind of flavor. But there it was provided for them, and it was complete and completely nutritious for them, and enough. And over time, they got used to it. They tried preparing it different ways, and then they said, we load this worthless bread. Got to that place where it made them sick and nauseated, just, oh, it's manna again. 
Oh, we miss the leeks and the onions of Egypt, spice of life. You know. And it made God upset. The simplicity of Jesus Christ and him crucified can become boring to people. And I don't know how that happens except for they lose sight of who they are or where they came from or what he's done for them. That's all I can think of. Well, Paul says we don't do that. We don't change things up to spice it up. We're not here for that. If it's too bland for you, then move on. I don't know what else to tell you. But the dish doesn't change. The meal shouldn't change. It is what you need. It is the only thing that your soul needs to eat. So we don't preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ. And we call ourselves the bond servants of Jesus. Of course we are. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Our hearts have been open and illuminated, and our lives have been illuminated, and we've never been the same since. The peace, the joy, the grace, the mercy, the freedom, the liberty has come in. And unless you've been shackled in shame and guilt and felt a prisoner of your own sin, you won't know what it's like to be set free until you are. Some people make their home in their prison. It just becomes accustomed to it, you know. I can't imagine. That's probably my worst fear is if, not, not, not that I'm, you know, got problems in my life or sin like that, but life in prison. To just resign yourself to the fact that you're just going to have to get used to where you sleep, how small it is, the food they serve you, and you're just going to have to make a life out of it. And I suppose over time, you would deal with the day-to-day. You'd have to. You'd go insane. You'd be crazy, you know? I, I, don't, I go through these things in my mind. I don't, know, I, I don't think I'm going to go to life, you know, in prison, but who knows? Things happen. <laughs> I can't imagine that. How horrible. No wonder you do push-ups all day long and you're running around your cage like this. It's, you know, Bo asked me, he says, what, what's, what's jail like, Dad? How would I know? He says, it's like a cage, son. It's a cage for people. Oh, yep. Some people are so used to their sin, they've been in it for so long, that is their life. They've made that cage their life. They've become accustomed to it. They've learned to live within the confines of their cage, of, of their sin. They have no idea until Jesus comes and the key is open and opens those doors and they walk out and sunshine hits their face and there's no one telling them what to do and there's liberty and there's freedom and all those sins that caused you to be in that jail and that prison have been taken care of and you're free to walk. You can go eat wherever you want to eat, you know, you can go to the mall if you want to go to the mall. You could drive a car if you want to drive a car. You can do whatever you want to do now until they experience that. See, I've experienced that. And, of course, I'm preaching to the choir here. But as a born-again believer, I've walked out of that jail cell. And I'm looking at the rest of the inmates saying, and that's what I'm trying to do. You really want to get out of there, I'm telling you. That's not so bad in here, they say. Quit telling me I'm a, I'm a bad guy. You're in jail. You know, but you can get out. That's all Paul says. He says, I was released. I've been set free. All my sins have been paid for. I am out. I am, I'm experiencing life the way God intended me to experience it. And I thought it was that, and it isn't that. It's this. 
the bars, the jail, the darkness, the gray, the cold, the hard. I thought that was just life and you just had to deal with it and put up with it and become it. And I've been set free and I'm soft and I'm glowing and I'm happy and I've got joy and I've got freedom. I'm, I'm living a life I never thought I could live. Beautiful. How could you not? So Paul goes into these prisons, so to speak. He goes into these cities and tries to tell them about freedom, and the prisoners just beat him. They just beat him, and he won't leave. He keeps going back into these prisons to set people free. Come out. Verse 7. But we have this treasure this gospel, this good news, this beautiful ministry in earthen vessels, our bodies, our, our being. We're like clay pots, and what's inside of us is absolute gold. That the excellence of the power of God, the power may be of God and not of us. That's important. Uh, I mean, it's simple. I, I think of times when, you know, we have these visions of, of you know, the, the wise men maybe bringing their gifts to Jesus in these ornate boxes and all, and they open them up and, the, you know, the gold shines out. You know, we see the, the picture and all that. And uh, the idea here is we don't need that. We don't want that. We don't want, we don't want the box to take away from the glory of what's inside, you know. Uh, we had this picture at our house. I know it was in my grandma's house. And it was offered to us, Grandma Ada. Um, she liked fancy stuff. She liked fancy stuff. And so she had this picture that had like this gold frame. Not our style, you know, not our style. But what you ended up doing when you're looking at the pictures, all you're doing is you're looking at the frame. You get the idea. The frame was almost overpowering, and you couldn't really appreciate the picture because the frame drew away from the, the art, you know, and, uh, and, you, and you lost sight of what you're doing and you're staring. That's a nice frame, you know. Well, yeah, what about the picture? It's okay. I mean, you know, <laughs> God, uh, Paul isn't trying to make us feel bad. He's just trying to show, and maybe this is some freedom for us, hopefully. We're just earthen vessels, and we don't have to be more than that. Because what we contain in Jesus Christ and the grace and the mercy and the gospel that comes out of our mouths and out of our hearts because we're bondservants of Jesus Christ, that's, that's what illuminates people. That's what changes people. It doesn't have to be me being fancy, you know. It doesn't mean we don't prepare and, we, and we're not careful, but we don't have to outshine or outglory the glory of the gospel. As people, I don't think I can share it. You can, you just need to share it. I, I don't know if I know how I have the words. You don't have to come up with the words. They're already here. I don't have to make it. You just, I just have to tell them what the Bible says. Just read John 3.16 to them and walk away. You've given them the beautiful gospel and more. I mean, you can go on and on if you want. But as long as you're reading the word of God, beautiful treasures are coming out of earthen vessels. And you can walk away and they'll be like, I've never been so, you know, touched in my entire life. And sometimes they'll make the mistake, that vessel's amazing. No, it's not. It's clay. You know, um, it was what you received that was the, the beauty, the amazing part. 
Paul says we're just earthen vessels. And we need to quit trying to put Jesus into more golden vessels or silver vessels or decked out vessels. It takes away. It draws attention. We are hard pressed on every side. Here he talks about his persecution and the difficulty of the ministry. He's not complaining. He's actually uh, giving God glory in this. We're hard pressed on every side. I mean, from every direction we're being pressed, but we're not crushed. Should be, but we're not, you know. We are perplexed, not in despair. I love that one. That's probably my favorite one. Perplexed means I don't know what's going on. I feel that a lot in my life. You know, I don't know what's going on, but I'm not despairing over it. I just kind of, and I don't know if there's some kind of circus music in my background, you know, as I walk around my farm or whatever I'm doing, or I don't know. But I'm like, I'm not, I'm not in despair. I'm perplexed about a lot of things, but I'm not in despair. And Paul gives God credit for that. I'm hard-pressed, but I'm not, I'm not crushed. I'm perplexed, I'm not in despair. I'm persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. If I go to jail, if I get beat up, or whatever happens to me, Paul says, Christ is with me. He's there, you know. Remember Peter, who was in jail, and the guys are all praying for him to get out of jail. And the angel comes in, sweet and tenderly, kicks him in the side because he's sleeping. He says, get up, it's time to go, you know, kind of thing. And all the doors open up, and he runs out. You're not alone. I'm persecuted, but I'm not forsaken. He hasn't left me, you know. I'm struck down, but not destroyed. Paul knows something about being struck down. I don't know if we do, but if you do, you're still here. You're not destroyed. It might have hurt. Might have been hard, but you're, you're not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. That the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. He's, he's building on something here. For we who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now, I don't know if you can unpack that. You probably did, but let me help you if you didn't. Jesus warned us that if they hated me, they're going to hate you. In other words, when he died on the cross and rose from the dead and filled us with the Spirit, we went out and continued his ministry, and he was not popular. I mean, 5,000 people came out to get five loaves and two little fish, miraculously changed, but all they wanted was the next meal, and they got he was persecuted. They kept trying to throw him off of cliffs. They kept, I mean, demons were attacking and he, man, um, you know, I mean, there's this constant storms and raging things. Talk about pressed, you know, bleeding in the, uh, in the garden from prayer, praying so hard. I mean, he was not crushed. He wasn't in despair. He wasn't forsaken and he wasn't destroyed. Paul says we carry on in that same ministry, that same vein. See, I want the ministry of I want a crown and a robe like he has on now, seated at the right hand of the Father, and I'm walking around earth with my crown and you know, you know, my scepter. And I expect to be treated like the King of Kings is treated or will be treated. And I want that treatment now. He says, no, we're not done doing what I did for the three and a half years that I had a public ministry. You're now finishing that and doing that. Let me give you some scriptures. 
In Galatians 6.17, Paul writes to the Galatians, From now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. I'm beat like he was beat. I have whips, whip marks like he has whip marks. Colossians, another epistle written by Paul, 1.24, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. You finished up the afflictions of Christ? What are you saying, Paul, that it wasn't complete, that it wasn't finished? He goes, no, it just carries on. It carries on. 2 Corinthians 1.5, we've already read it, but let me read it again. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. There's a fellowship there that only someone who suffered for Jesus Christ can share with Jesus Christ. If I don't suffer in Jesus Christ, I'm not calling us all to suffer and we should all, you know. It's just when it happens, you now understand a little better what he went through for three and a half years. That's all. And Paul counts it as, this is like a crown. I mean, it's like a medal. It's like a ribbon. It's like some sort of accolade from the Lord saying, well done. You got beat pretty good there. I got beat pretty good there, you know. And he counts it as a joy. He says, what we do by giving out the gospel, we receive that. Now, we are delivered to death, but that's for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus may be manifested. Verse 13. And since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, and this is what's written, it's in Psalm 116.10 is what he's going to quote, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. That's all we do, and that's why we do what we do. What is, what's your angle, Paul? Are you trying to get money? Are you trying to get popularity? Are you trying to get a, a speaking engagement, a book deal? What's, what's your angle, Paul? He says, no, I believed, and therefore I have to speak. A believer in Jesus Christ doesn't need to be convinced to tell other people about what's happened to them. They just have to, you know? Little Barrett came in today, cute little kid. He walks up to me. I'm talking with somebody. I don't know, like adults do. We just sit there, and he's just standing there, this little little kid, just looking at me. I look at him. How you doing, Barrett? He goes, "I'm five. <laughs> Did you just have a birthday yesterday? Well, that's awesome. I'm glad you're five. Mom didn't tell him to do that. Dad didn't tell him to do that. He just walked up and said, "I had a birthday, and I'm five, and I want you to know it." You know. When the gospel of Jesus Christ hits us right between the eyes and we're a born-again believer, we can walk up to people and say, I'm born again. What, what did you say? I am born again. I've been saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, and he's died for your sins too. We don't have to be prompted to do it. It's so exciting to us. We just do. And God sees that when you do that. When you share the gospel with people, he knows. That's all Paul's saying. I I believe, therefore I speak. Verse 14, knowing that he who raised up the Lord Jesus will also raise us up with Jesus and will present us with you. Jesus Christ rising from the dead is proof that we will be risen from the dead, that we will be taken home. The fact that he's not in the grave means we won't be in the grave. And that's an exciting thing. For all things are for your sakes. That grace, having spread through the many, may cause thanksgiving to abound to the glory of God. We're glad we started your church. We're glad that you're a bunch of born-again believers because the whole world is talking about how Corinth has a church. Are you kidding me? Corinth of all cities, you know. 
and they give God glory because there's only only God could change Corinth, you know. He says, and you're bringing God glory. Therefore, we do not lose heart, which is where he started. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, (laughs) which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceedingly or exceeding an eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. I want to hold off there before we finish up, because I know people close their Bibles when I read the last verse. Don't close your Bibles. A long time. I got lots of time. For this light affliction. You know, you've read what Paul went through, right? Beatings, shipwrecks, stonings, left for dead, risen from the dead almost. We're pretty sure that they went around him and raised him from the dead and went back into this. I mean, countless beatings, countless whippings, blindness, and so many things. I mean, he had Luke as a doctor. It's like his personal physician that would patch the guy back up. You know, he's like Rocky's guy in the corner. Get back in there. You know, you got, I don't know if he sounded like, but that's what he did. He, you know, Paul's like, cut it and go back in and start fighting again for the gospel, sharing the love of Christ. He says, those are light afflictions. Our our man is perishing, and boy, Paul knew it. He could feel it. Some of you can feel it too, can't you? You know, I, I work hard every once in a while, not very often, but once in a while I work hard at all. And I'll sit down to dinner, you know, or you guys call it supper, whatever, you're wrong. But I sit down and I, and I sit down, and, and, and I eat, and, and then I get up, and I don't want to get up. I feel like, you can almost see, you can, like the Tin Man, I need oil or something. You can feel it. You can feel the toll that the world and the, the work that you're doing now. Paul is, of course, speaking of the afflictions. Can you imagine? I mean, they ain't a chiropractor in the world that can snap this guy back into shape again. You know? He says, I can feel my outward man is perishing, but my inward man, being renewed day by day. He's never been closer to God. He's never had more peace. He's never felt stronger. Curses his body. Oh, body, come on. We got things to do, you know. (laughs) Come on, body, move. It's dying, but inwardly, oh, he's on fire for the Lord. It's a light affliction that we go through. It's just for a moment because what's coming for us in, in the eternal weight is amazing. There's some amazing verses. And I want to spend some time on this. And I'm only 10 minutes, but I want to spend some time on this. And it's in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 7. And it's about Mary anointing or, you know, anointing Jesus' feet with the spike nard that he does. And this was at the conference too. And it really spoke to my heart. Um, and I had looked at this a lot of different ways and have taught it several different ways and, and so on. It, it says what it says. But there was some insight for this at this conference that really blessed me. It says this, then six days before the Passover, so take into account that's six days before he's crucified. Got it? Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was, who had been dead, and whom he had raised from the dead. There, at this place, they made him supper. Okay, so it's supper, it's not dinner. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointing the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. 
And of course, this oil would be like just a bottle of perfume almost, you know, if not stronger. Um, and the scent would have filled the whole house and would have been on her and on her hair and on Jesus and the whole house. I mean, you're not going to get rid of that smell forever. You know, there it is. And she do- broke this. This is, a, this is a year's wages worth of valuable oil, okay? And she just lavished it and poured it out on Jesus. So here's what happens. One of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box, but he used to take what was put in it. So he's like the treasurer, and he would dip into it, right? So while this woman is giving this act of worship to Jesus, six days before his death, in a group full of men in this room, um, he begins to ridicule her publicly while she's doing this. And I don't know if you're a woman. Can you imagine what that would feel like as you're worshiping and pouring out your love for Jesus and have them stand over you saying, you're foolish. What a waste. Could have been used much better, you know. Now, Jesus corrects them, thank goodness. And here's what he says. Let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Now, it's kind of a strange thing to say. It's kept us for my day of burial. Well, it's not his day of burial. She's doing it six days prior. What is this about? You know, what are you talking about? He doesn't say it's a waste. We get a little confused by the fact that he says, no, this is a good way to spend the money. This is a good way for her to spend everything that she had was on me. He doesn't say that the trade was unfair. It's as if he looks at this situation and says, this is reasonable. She understands what I'm about to do. She understands the value of what's about to take place. She understands the value of me in her life. And it still isn't enough. A year's wages poured out on one person's feet. It's reasonable to him. It's reasonable in the economy of eternity. It's reasonable. Now, here's the part that really broke my heart at the teaching. I mean, it was at communion. We were doing the teaching, and I, and I, and I struggled to even stand up to go get communion at the conference. And finally, when I got it, I, I started walking over, there and I start doing my shake because I'm starting to cry. And I grab it. And I, I mean, before I get back to my chair, I'm just... I'm not sorrowful, but I'm just overjoyed and overcome by the Holy Spirit. And I just, I was on my knees in, in between the rows, just bawling. It's so powerful. Here's what he said. When he says he's doing it for his burial, think about that scent. You think about the day and age. Not a lot of showers happening back then, right? In fact, when they wanted to cleanse themselves, they would anoint themselves with oil, right? So here he is, covered with this fragrant oil. He's on the cross. He's breathing his last breaths. What does he smell every time he breathes? That final act of worship for Mary. He's breathing that spikenard. The only comfort is all that forsaken him at the cross. What he remembers, what he feels, what he's breathing at the last time is Mary's outpoured worship. He's done this for my burial. I was like, oh, man. 
But all the disciples thought it was a waste, didn't understand the act of worship, didn't understand the sacrifice that she was giving, and thought, this is just too much. I mean, maybe a couple drops would have done it, or half, or whatever. But all, see, to the world, your worship, your devotion to Jesus Christ will be scowled. They will scowl. They do. They don't understand. I mean, you go to church on Wednesdays too? I mean, isn't Sunday enough? Mm, not for me. I've done this for my burial. Paul, Paul says, what's happening to me in my outward man, although it's perishing, although it's getting beat, this is just reasonable service. I know the rest of the world doesn't understand why I don't quit or why I keep doing what I'm doing or why they, they don't understand. I just want you to know that tonight. God sees your worship and he, he knows now, he's not going to pat you on the back. Good job. Good job worshiping me. He's like, no, that's reasonable. In fact, you're the one who gets it. New Testament Christianity, the book of Acts Christianity is normal. It's not abnormal. It's not strange. It's not extreme. That is normal worship. It's normal. Anything less than that is abnormal. You see? And so when you begin to worship, when you show up on Wednesday night, it's not because you're weird or because you're a little too... A little too religious, you know. No. It's totally reasonable that we come to his feet or gather together as often as we can to worship him. And he sees that. The rich young ruler couldn't do it. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 22. Now, as he was going out on the road, one came running and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and says, teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. And then Jesus, looking at him, loving him, loved him. And said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have and give to the poor. And you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up the cross and follow me. He was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. In other words, what Jesus had to offer wasn't worth what he had. The exchange rate wasn't fair. So he kept his stuff and he walked away from Jesus. See, a worshiper of God leaves everything at Jesus' feet, and it's not enough, you know. It's not enough. I need to get, I want more. I want to do more. I don't feel like I've done enough. I haven't And Jesus is like, you can't. (laughs) What I've done for you, you can't make up the difference. You can't even this out because we desperately like to even things out as people, don't we? You know, oh, thanks for buying me that soda. I'll catch you next time. We just have to say that for some reason. I don't say that anymore. I say, thanks for the soda. You know, I may never pay you back. (laughs) It may never happen. I don't feel the need. Hey, be blessed. Be blessed by blessing somebody. Go for it. So, Jesus is like, you can't outdo me. You cannot outdo what I've done for you. you have, we don't, when we get to heaven, we're all going to be like, oh, man. I mean, wow, this is a lot bigger than I thought it was. And I thought it was big. I mean, I went to church on Wednesdays, you know, <laughs> and everything. <laughs> but the exchange rate, not even close to what I've received. The rich young ruler couldn't do it. The, the gain wasn't enough for him. In 1 Corinthians 9, 11, if we have sown spiritual things for you, 
Is it a great thing if we reap your material things? Was it a great thing that Mary dumped this spike note on Jesus' feet? No. It seems great to us, but why? Because there's a lot of money. What's a lot of money compared to eternity with, with God? Salvation from hell. What's a lot of money? I'd pay a lot of money to get out of hell. I'd pay a lot of money to get out of hell. You know, And then he just gives it to us for free. I don't think I can. You get the idea. Final scripture, and then we'll read the last verse. Matthew 6, 21. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's a simple verse. But in light of everything we've read tonight, and in light of the worship that Mary gives to Jesus, we understand. Now, this isn't about money. It's not about that. But when I sing, I sing out. When I pray, I pray. And so do you. And God hears that. It's, it's just normal. It's beautiful. It's a wonderful exchange rate, you know. Finish up here. Verse 18. Uh, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are uh, not seen are eternal. Very important. Um, The world that we live in now, it's fake. It's perishing. It won't last. We know it. None of of these chairs, none of our bodies, none of this stuff's going to be here. None of our iPhones are going to be around. It all burns. We used to say that, but I don't know if we really understood it. Literally nothing, nothing makes it into heaven except our souls and our hearts. We get new bodies and everything. So um, just we got to make sure that we're, when we spend our time, when we spend our efforts and do those things, just keep eternity in mind when we do it. Keep eternity in mind and keep your treasure in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for Paul's enlightenment between the material and the spiritual, between the sacrifices that everybody thought he was making compared to the riches that he had gained in you. Lord, our riches in Christ are invaluable. We can't place a dollar amount on it. Um, What would a man pay for his own life? I mean, there's this. um, And so we give you our lives. And and you don't ask us for stuff. The widow, she gave her two mites just because. And Paul gave his service to you because. It was was not for. It's because of what you'd, you'd done for him and what you'd done for her. And we want to be the same way, God, for for what you've done for us. We, it's our reasonable service to worship you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and, uh, and to be eternally minded every day. Lord, the world is in jail. They are imprisoned by their sin. They are bound by those chains. And Lord, you have given us the gospel, the key that unlocks. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us to use that key this week. Help us to see people and to give them what they need, the gospel. We don't have to deceive. We don't have to be tricky. We don't have to have an ornate vessel. We can just be earthen vessels with that beautiful news. Help us to share it, though. Help us to share that news with those around us. Bless these people as they go today. Bless our kids who have been taught in the classes out there and the teachers that took the time to prepare um, their teachings for these little ones, that they might understand your word and draw a little closer to you. Bless them for their time. And uh, we just thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. We'd love to pray for you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.